0: We're Missy Phoenix, a community of God's people, learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. Acts 9, starting in verse 31. Where we left off last week, if you remember, is Saul, who was oppressing the church. He was trying to get people thrown in prison. He was breathing murderous threats at them, he has an encounter with Jesus. Jesus shows up in such a a bright light that it blinds Saul. He's blind for three days, and he doesn't eat or drink during that time. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And so Saul has this total heart transformation because he meets the real Jesus. He was trying to follow God before that, but he didn't know. He hadn't seen who Jesus was. And now, because that has happened, this is where we pick up in verse thirty-one. Because of Saul, who was trying to attack them, has now been uh he has become a follower and a believer of Jesus. Verse thirty-one, so the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. As Peter was traveling from place to place, he also came down to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Annias, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Annias, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. So all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. I prefer the Aramaic translation of Tabitha than the Greek, but she was always doing good works and acts of charity. About that time, she became sick and died. After washing her, they placed her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men to him who urged him, don't delay in coming with us. Peter got up and went with them. When he arrived, they led him to the room upstairs, and all the widows approached him, weeping and showing him the robes and clothes that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. He knelt down, prayed, and turning toward the body, said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her stand up. He called the saints and widows and presented her alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Peter stayed for some time in Joppa with Simon, a leather tanner. This is God's word. Father, we ask that you would help us to see you today, to hear your word, to be transformed by your spirit to the glory of the Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our whole youth group was sitting in the waiting room of the hospital when I was in high school, and we were praying for this guy at our church named Jacob. I didn't know him super well, but I knew him enough to not want him to die. He had been in a motorcycle accident, and it was not looking good. And all the doctors and the nurses who were talking to the family and to the friends were saying, do not get your hopes up. It's not looking good. And so our youth group had huddled in there and we were praying. Praying that God would bring healing. We wanted him to live, but I think even more than that, we wanted to see a work of God. And even more than that, we wanted the doctors and the nurses to see that this was the work of Jesus. Because they saw us all in there praying. And miraculously, Jacob ended up walking out of that hospital. And has continued to live a flourishing life. A few years later, that same group of friends received the news that another friend closer to us, he actually played in the band with Bethany and I for a while, had been in a car accident just down the road here, a cactus on the I-17, a mile from his home, and he passed away. And none of our prayers could bring him back. I think sometimes when we read texts like what we just read, we go, wait, does, does God still do those kinds of miracles today? Do those still those healings still happen today? And I want to say the answer is yes. But it's also a little more nuanced than that, isn't it? Because we also live in a very broken world still. And people do still get hurt. And people do still die. And sometimes we pray for healing and it happens and it's amazing and it's miraculous. And sometimes we pray for healing and it doesn't seem to happen. And that's kind of the thing that we start to internally wrestle with when we get to texts like this. But here's what I want us to see, and I think what Luke, who wrote this down, wants us to see, is the main thing here is not the temporary healings that happened. Annius could walk, that's amazing, but Annius, he's not still walking on this earth right now today, is he? Tabitha, she got up. From the dead. Tabitha's not still alive today, is she? Those temporary healings were not the point. The point is this, that they were a preview of something better to come. The point is that they were pointing us forward to something better. And that they were revealing something that's very true and very real, even in the midst of brokenness and pain and loss and death that there's still a God at work. It's interesting that this uh, writing here from Luke, he chooses to give us the translation of Dorcas's name, right? Because he's writing in the Greek, and Dorcas is the Greek translation. It's, It's what they would have called her, actually. But he chooses to let us in on what her Aramaic name is, and that that's the name that Peter chooses to call her when he tells her to get up, not just because it sounds much prettier than Dorcas, but there's actually something deeper going on. That name uh, means gazelle in both languages, right? So that's an interesting thing to me, that she was laying in this bed in her death, and he says, get up, like a gazelle, right? But there's something even more interesting happening. See, these people, it wouldn't have been normal for them to take a dead body and prepare it and put her on a bed in a room. That would not have been what would have happened. In fact, that would have made the whole house unclean in their culture. But they had such an anticipation, such an expectation, such a hope and such a confidence that somehow if Peter or one of the other apostles would have come, that the power of God would have shown up and she could have lived. And Peter goes, hey, it's it's not because of me. This is what I want us to see. And I think what Luke wants us to see is that what Peter's doing is simply imitating Jesus. So Luke, who writes Acts, he also wrote, can you guess what other book? The book of Luke, the gospel according to Luke. And he wrote that one first. And in that one, you get this story of all the things Jesus did, and then he begins Acts with, hey, in my first book, I wrote to you about all the things Jesus began to do. So now he's writing about all the things Jesus continues to do through his spirit at work in his followers, in ordinary people. And in Luke chapter 5, we get this story about a paralytic man. You guys remember that one where... uh, Crazy story where they're like, hey, we can't get into Jesus into this room. It's too crowded. We can't fit through the crowds of people, but maybe we can fit through the shingles of the roof, right? So they tear open a hole in the ceiling, in the roof, and they lower their friend down on a mat. And Jesus sees them. He sees their faith, and he says, Your faith, because of your faith, your sins are forgiven. And then he knows the religious leaders standing around, the Pharisees, they're going to get angry at that. Because they're going to say, who, who can say that your sins are forgiven other than God himself? Who does this man think he is? And so he says to them, hey, what seems easier to you, that I say your sins are forgiven, or that I say, hey, get up and walk, and he can just mysteriously get up and walk? But so that you know that I have the power to forgive sins also. And he turns to the man. And let's actually read it. I think I, I have the text up here. Uh, Luke 5. Verses 24 and 25. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. Immediately, he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Now, does that sound familiar at all? Right? Similar words Peter says to Aeneas. He says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ has healed you. He says, get up. This is in verse 34. Get up, make your bed, and immediately he got up. Peter had seen this happen before. He had seen Jesus do it. He followed him around and probably saw things like this all the time. And he's now imitating. And I think Luke is intentionally using similar language here. And I, I think just to drive that point even more home, we see it match even closer when he gets to Tabitha or Dorcas. Take your pick. Because in Luke 8, we get a story of Jesus healing someone too. In Luke 8, uh, there's like a Roman soldier, a centurion named Jairus, and he, his daughter is sick. And so they send for Jesus to come and heal her. And then she ends up dying. Jesus shows up, and he gets there, and he goes, hey, everyone, stop crying. She's just sleeping. And they laugh at him. Like, this dude's insane. He's out of his mind. We know what death looks like. She's dead. And Jesus sends them out of the room. Actually, let's read that also. It's in Luke 8. So he sends them out of the room, just like Peter sends The widows, out of the room. And he takes her by the hand, and he calls out, child, get up. Now, this is important. If you go to the book of Mark, you're going to find, I think it's in Mark chapter 2. Oh, chapter 5. Thank you. I put that up here. I didn't know I did that. The translation here is fascinating. Listen to this. They laughed at him, but he put them all outside, He took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand and he said to her, Talitha, koum, which is Aramaic, by the way. Jesus spoke Hebrew. He spoke Greek. And when he wanted to, he spoke Aramaic. Talitha, koum, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. Talitha, what does this look like? Do you know when Peter's speaking Aramaic, right? Luke told us, hey, Dorcas in Aramaic is Tabitha. He speaks Aramaic to her. He doesn't say Dorcas, get up. He's not speaking Greek in this moment. He speaks in Aramaic to her, and he says Tabitha, koum. It's literally one letter off from the words of Jesus. The same thing, he's imitating Jesus. He goes in there, he sends everyone out of the room. You know what the difference is? Peter had to pray first. Jesus goes in just as the word of God, and he speaks, and life comes forth. Peter goes in, and he goes, Jesus, I need you. He gets on his knees, and he prays, and then he turns toward the body, and he speaks the words Jesus had spoken, and Jesus shows up. That's why when he goes to heal Aeneas right before that, he says, what does he say to him in verse 34? Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Jesus the Messiah heals you. The Savior, the rescuing King. He doesn't say, hey, Aeneas, got good news for you. I'm here. You know who I am? Peter the Apostle, the rock, right? Like the one that Jesus said he'll build his church on, depending on if you've mistranslated that phrase or not. Uh, You know, like I'm the dude. Like, people are, are, like, amazed at this whole movement of, they call the way, all these people. And, you know, I'm one of the ones leading them. I got the power to say, get up. He does not say that. He knows where the power really lies. He goes and he says, Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the King, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, the one who has rescued us from death and sin, the one who is king over all of creation, who conquered death himself, he heals you. This is the continuing work of Jesus. Now, do these things still happen today? Yes. And also, that's not the point. The point is, who's doing this work? Jesus is doing the work. The point is, who is this supposed to fix our eyes toward. As Luke's telling this story, who is he trying to get us to see? Just like Saul had seen. Who is he trying to get us to fix our eyes toward? It's Jesus. And it's not just for us, but then what happens for the people in the story too, right? When he presents Tabitha as alive now, he calls the widows back in. He calls her family back in. And they come in, and he says this. He says, uh, he gave her hand and helped her stand up. He called the saints and widows and presented her alive. Verse 42, this became known throughout Joppa, and what happened? And many believed in the Lord. This is, this is so that others would come to know who Jesus is. This is why this little preview was happening. This is why these little temporary miracles are taking place. This is why the power of God shows up through an ordinary person in that moment. Peter did not have superpowers. He was not a superhuman. He couldn't do this anytime he wanted to. God was doing something very specific so that the people in that town would see Jesus. And they saw him. And many believed. And then we get this really random bit of info here. Verse 43, Peter stayed for some time in Joppa with Simon, a leather tanner. We're going to talk more about that next week. We'll see more about Simon. Remember how all throughout Acts we've been kind of like, here's a little introduction to this character. We'll come back to him later, right? It keeps doing that. And so we'll come back to Simon a little bit later in chapter 10. He seems to play a very small part. He's a minor character. But I think there's a lot of significance going on right here why Luke would mention this, uh, which we'll, we'll talk a lot about. But I think one of those small things is, that Peter, trying to imitate Jesus, is now saying, I also will go find a tradesman named Simon, because remember that was his name, and I will disciple him. He's continuing to walk in the ways of Jesus. He's in, in the ordinary things of, let me go stay with this guy so that we can talk about who Jesus is and I can, he can see my life right, like Andrew was talking about, just seeing my everyday normal life, and maybe he would see Jesus, to the big moments of, this woman is going to come back to life. And I, I think sometimes we read stuff like this and we go, I've never been a part of laying my hands on someone and healing them. I've never been able to raise someone from the dead. Like, am I alone in that? Anyone else in this room can say you've never done that, right? Probably all of us. Okay, good. Like, we've never done these big, huge, grand things, But even in that tiny little verse right there that Peter went and stayed with a man who no one else would have stayed with, by the way, we'll talk more about next week too, a leather tanner, that means what he was doing is he was preparing animal hides to turn them into leather. Everyone needed leather. They needed it for their sandals and their belts, but they didn't like being around leather tanners because they stunk and they were touching dead animals, which means they were ceremoniously unclean. So he lived far off from the rest of the community and Peter goes to stay with him. In the ordinary, everyday movements of your life, you too have the opportunity to imitate Jesus, to display what he's like to the world around you so that others would see Jesus, so that others would know and believe who Jesus is. This is what we're getting out of this. Not that miracles are gonna happen if you have enough faith. Because you know what the real miracle is? This is all just a preview. You guys watch previews, right? That's one of the things I used to hate missing at the beginning of a movie when I would go to a theater is hate missing the previews at the beginning because I love knowing what's coming out next. What am I going to go spend, waste my money on next time to go see, right? But I hate previews now because they almost like give the whole thing away, right? They give like the whole movie away and you go, I know exactly what's going to happen. So... I'll just fill in the blanks. I don't need to spend the money. I'll wait until it comes out on TV or Hulu. Does anyone even watch normal TV anymore? What we're getting here, though, are previews of the kingdom of God coming in its fullness, coming to earth. If you were to direct a preview for the kingdom of God, what would it look like? Just think about that for a second. If you have something, Like, shout it out. I would love to hear it. If you were directing a preview on the screen of what the kingdom of heaven looks like once we're there, once Jesus has returned, he's restored all things, he's brought heaven to earth, and we have this, like, feast with him, what would this preview look like on the screen? We're getting a preview at the end of chapter 9 here of the kingdom. Luke is very intentionally, I think, painting a picture of a preview of what is to come. And listen, do you know what it starts with? This is the reason why I started picking up in verse 31, uh, right after Saul's story. It starts with the community of God's people living in peace. That's what it says. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened. That word shalom means peace. And it's not just like peace and quiet, but it's actual wholeness, restoration. They felt a little glimpse of, they had a preview of what is to come when we live in full community and wholeness with one another, and there's peace, and there's no more division or dissension or fighting or arrogance or pride getting in the way. There's no more blaming or pointing the finger, but peace among brothers and sisters. That's the first little Image you get in this preview, this trailer for what's to come, is God's people living in peace with one another, being strengthened, right? Then you get this picture of healing happening. Aeneas couldn't walk, and the power of Jesus comes and brings healing to his actual physical body. Like God cares about his actual physical body. How many years does he have left at this point in his life? I don't know. He's been bedridden for a ton of years, it says. So why not just leave it, right? Like, why not just write it out? Jesus cares about his physical body, and healing comes. The aches and pains will be done away with. Uh, we, we did this video when my kids were younger, uh, had them record some things and draw some things, and was trying to do a video of what creation was like, and they were explaining what things were before sin entered in the world, and they said, no more allergies was one of the things. There's no allergies. And I was like, A yes and amen. I can't wait, you know. Like, our, our body is just being whole. That's another image in this preview of what is to come. And then we get, before, before we get to Tabitha Get Up, we hear about Tabitha herself and how she was always doing good works for people around her. You see the widows coming and presenting to Peter, look at all these clothes she made for us. Look at how she cared for the vulnerable in our community, the widows that couldn't take care of themselves. That's an image, that's a preview image of the kingdom of God, caring for those who are in need. And then you get this final like crescendo. It's like the climax of the preview trailer. You see, it's a thing that's like, it's all been building up to this. And you see it and you go, I need to see that movie. Tabitha, get up. And she gets up. Death is no more. Life has happened. It's just a preview of the fullness of what is to come. Why? Because Jesus already gave that preview to us. He showed Peter what it looked like. Not just when he raised Jairus' daughter, not just when he raised Lazarus, but when he himself stepped out of that tomb. And Scripture tells us that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. That means he was the first one to actually not just temporarily Lazarus get up, not just temporarily little girl get up, but Jesus conquered death once and for all and forever lives in his physical body with the holes in his hands. And he will not die again. He will not go back into the grave. Jesus has conquered death. The first fruits, which means if we follow him, if we trust in him, we too will follow into the resurrection. That's the fullness. That's the movie. That's the feature film we want to get to. This is a preview saying, don't you want this? Don't you want to see it? Don't you want to experience it? Don't you want to live in this? The fullness of the resurrection. Jesus has become that for us. Now we... If we follow him, if we trust in him, the way Peter's following in his footsteps right now, he's mimicking him, he's imitating him. We too get to not just wait until one day where we experience being in the resurrection, but we too today, Missio, get to be living previews of the kingdom of God. When we hang out here and we eat together, let me tell you, that's a preview of the kingdom. When we're sharing life together, that's a preview of the kingdom. When we bring meals to one another when we're in need, that is a preview of the kingdom. When we see someone laying out here on the sidewalk, like I did the other week, just laying there, that's where he's sleeping, and we offer some grace to them, and we offer water, and we offer to care for, that's a preview of the kingdom. When we go out into our neighborhoods and into our communities, and we share the love of Jesus with our neighbors, instead of just trying to avoid them as much as we can. That's a preview of the kingdom. When your coworkers see your life and your example, and they say, man, life's getting hard. I need, I need you. Just like those people said, hey, go get Peter. We need someone who can show us Jesus. And they come to you and say, I, I need you to pray for me. We are being a preview of the kingdom of God. And we keep living as that preview because we have the Spirit of God with us until one day the fullness comes and we experience the resurrection. And that's our hope, and that's our joy, and that's what we're living for. Amen?